This is a very serious podcast. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. I have a Gumby cat in mine. Her name is Jenny Annie Dots. Her coat is of the tabby kind with tiger stripes, stripes and leopard spots. <laughs> Welcome to Splanknicks, the Society for the Preservation of Literature, the Arts, Numinosity, Culture, Humor, <laughs> Nerdiness, Inspiration, Creativity, and Storytelling. When we're we're like we're doing, it's just a mic check, but everything can end up in the podcast. Even a mic check, everything is content. Everything is content. Well, welcome everybody. This is our next episode of Splanknicks. My name is Claire Walker. I'm an independent author, and I'm joined by my co-host, my daughter Hannah Kubiak, also an independent author, avid tea drinker, and um, as you may have guessed from our introduction, we're going to be talking about poetry. So um, now, Hannah, when you suggested this topic, yeah, that my, was about two hours ago. My first thought was, <laughs> I, I'm not really a poetry person. I don't think of myself as a poetry person, but observe all these books behind us. Those are all my poetry books. It turns out I've read a lot of poetry and I actually enjoy quite a lot of poetry. Hmm. I don't know why I have it in my head that I'm not a poetry person. I think it might be because I don't consider myself very knowledgeable about poetry or sophisticated in my tastes in mm. poetry. And there, there's a lot of poetry that when I read it, I, I read it and I go, um, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I, uh, I think that there are certain kinds of poetry that I really enjoy. For example, here's one of my favorite poems. I'm going to recite it to you from memory. Okay. It goes like this. Oh, flurgled grunt bugly, thy micturations are to me as flurgled gabble blotchets on a lurgid bee. I think I, I think I know that one. You know that one. Bonus yeah. points for anyone in the audience who knows the nationality of the author of that poem. Mm-hmm. Um, not the actual author of the poem, but the poem, the author in the fictional work from which oh. that poem is derived. Yep. Um, yeah, that is, of course, um, a selection of Vogon poetry from, yep. from the Hitchhiker's from the Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, by Douglas Adams. And that's one of my favorite poems. Why? Because it makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. I really, I really enjoy uh, poems that, that, A, I understand. Mm-hmm. Or if they're un- understandable, they're just absurd and they're funny. I really, I really enjoy that. Yeah, I think Vogon poetry is like is is said to be the third worst poetry in the galaxy, mm-hmm. and the worst poetry in the galaxy was was some woman from some obscure village in England named right. like named Nancy Moltrop Jennings or something like that. <laughs> And her yeah. poetry was just so awful. Yeah, it's so funny that the Vogon poetry, yeah, is the third worst in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And um, But what's funny is um, the, the, the TV series of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was funny because they 
they have the two characters strapped into these sort of instruments of torture. Oh, that do you mean like the, the? Do you mean the movie? The it was the movie or the TV series? It was a TV series that came out many years ago. Oh, and okay. and the actors were strapped into like a, a thing that looked like the thing they strapped Han Solo into, and um, mm-hmm. the thing they strapped. Um, uh, uh, Frankenstein's oh, monster. Frankenstein's monster into yeah, and it's like that, and they're all like, oh, oh, and they're screaming and they're writhing because of the the poetry. Yep. And then at the end, the Vogon says, "Now, tell me how good you thought my poetry was." And Ford Prefect goes, oh, I, uh, his brain is fried." Mm-hmm. But Arthur Dent says, "I rather liked it," and, <laughs> and he just starts going on and on about it. It's really funny. Well, he's from the same country as the worst poet in the universe, so that makes sense <laughs> that it wouldn't phase him as much. Exactly, exactly. But I, I love that poem by Douglas Adams, uh, put into the uh, you know into the Vogon poetry uh, annal, annals of Vogon poetry. It kind of reminds me of the Monty Python sketch about the the world's uh, funniest joke that was made into a. Um, it was. It was made into a weapon in the war, oh, yeah. and they translated it into German so that they could yell it into combat and cause. And they're like running through, uh, reading the reading the joke in German, and Germans are just falling out of the trees, <laughs> killed right. over in laughter. This horrible joke is a weapon of mass destruction. Yep, yep. And that was the beginning of joke warfare. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We're actually we we really are going to be talking about poetry. Those of you, dear listeners, who are wondering when the world we're going to get to the actual topic, we will. Um, are we in it now? Yeah. So we talked about vogue on poetry. What else is there? Not much. I. Uh, <laughs> no. Well, go ahead. What 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 did you want to say about about poetry? Why did you want to to discuss this this topic today? My idea was that what we can do is you say that you don't think you're a poetry person. Mm-hmm. I took a poetry class once. Uh, I had two once. Yeah. And I think I've kind of got a poet's brain as well, where I sort of hear things and say, oh, yeah, that's deep. That speaks to me, you know. Um, And what I thought we'd do. I'm snapping, by the way, those of you who are listening. Mm. Snap. And what I thought we'd do is I thought we would look at some poems, maybe well-known poems, maybe more obscure poems, and then we'll talk about what they might mean. And okay. we'll kind of try and leave this discussion with a couple of tools for analyzing poetry so that we feel like cultured, educated women. <laughs> with poetry brains. With poetry brains. Okay, good. And I have three poetry selections that I that I chose oh, yes. to, that I would like to read. But, uh, yeah, that's a lot of poetry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm proud. I'm proud of you. Hey, thanks. Okay. okay. This this is a poetry book, 101 Famous Poems, that I got you, apparently, um, for your birthday in 2007. And I wrote an inscription inside. I want to hear it. How old was I? Was I... How, that was... You would have been... That was 13, four, that was 13 years ago. You would have been 14. Oh, well, that. this makes this even more embarrassing, because that's not even really that... Okay. It begins like this. You're 12. You were only 12. Oh, I was 12. Okay, there's a big difference between 12 and 14. <laughs> well, we can figure it out. Because we know when you were born. Mm-hmm. We can do the math. Oh, yeah. We just have to subtract 7 from 20. <laughs> so, 13. So then my age is 27. So 27 minus 13 <laughs> is 14. So I was 14. <laughs> 
<laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Here's the inscription that I wrote when I was 14. It begins this way. There is a prescript to the post to the to the <laughs> to the inscription. Before I even begin my inscription, it says, "Please note, please in capital letters." Oh, yeah, I'm just laughing. Please I, note that this was written by one who is young and foolish and doesn't know how to inscribe books properly. October twenty eighth, two thousand and seven. Dear Mom, I hope this book quenches your thirst for poetry and classic literature. So apparently, I thought you were very into poetry. Yeah. When I was fourteen. This book will supply you with knowledge and intelligence, even when you are old and crotchety and can merely hobble, shuffle, and inch your way to where you want to go. Hopefully that won't be happening for a while. Love, Hannah. <laughs> I love that line here. I wrote this when I was young and foolish. It's like completely, are you quoting Dylan Thomas? That, that's what, what did you say? Dylan Thomas has got a poem that goes, when I was young and foolish. There's no Cummings in here. I did find a poem called I Have a Rendezvous with Death. Is that um, Emily Dickinson? No, it's by Alan Seeger. Oh, okay. Don't know who that is. Okay. E.E. E. Cummings. E.E. E. Cummings? Ooh, yeah. perfect. Doesn't really matter. Do you know any of his poems? There. Here's I the do index. know. I do know some of... Well, while you're looking it up, poems. while you're finding a poem by E.E. E. Cummings, mm -hmm. I'm going to read a poem by Claire Walker. Who's that? Remember I told you a couple podcasts ago that I am, in fact, a published poet? Oh. This is the... Um, let me get the, 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 the this is in the a journal called Mosaic, which was the Journal of National Lewis University written communication program mm. published by us. And um, it was the, this is the 2008 edition. Oh. Okay, this poem is called A Day in the Life of the Son of Walt Whitman and Emily Dickinson. Ah, he sounds his barbaric yawp over the rooftops of his tin can world, crashing and stomping and crushing with brown leather booted feet. The wonder of those feet of his, all 10 glorious toes, grime encrusted ankles, calloused heels. In a world peopled by clothes peg laundrymen carting linens, dog catchers chasing dime store curs through streets, typesetters sorting backward lead letters from a tray, Bakers sweating before their ovens, drivers cracking the whip over the heads of three roan mares on a chestnut gelding, reapers in the fields swinging their sides. He comes like an earthquake and flattens every can and snaps into every wooden peg under those tremendous, giant, hard-soled feet until his mother calls him in for breakfast. He runs into the house and sits upon his special chair. His mother serves him scrambled eggs. He gets them in his hair. His father pounds him on the back and roars, Good morning, son. I'm off to loaf and take my ease until the day is done. Then, like a blundering elephant, his father thunders out to write and sit and be content to catch and kiss a trout. Then, silently, with an affable face, he submits as his mother combs the egg out of his hair. He carries the dishes to the sink. He helps her wash and dry them. That morning, they measure flour, salt, and yeast, and knead, and rise, and punch down. He especially enjoys the punching down. <laughs> and knead, and rise again. 
he plunks the doughy loaf into its clanging metal pan. Emily Dickinson style. You know, you can sing it to the tune of Gilligan's Island, right? Yeah, go he ahead. He runs into the house and sits upon his special... Wait, wait, that was uh, the Yellow That's Rose the of Texas. Yellow Rose of Texas, which you can also do. He runs into his house and sits upon his special chair. His mother serves him scrambled eggs. He gets them in his hair. <laughs> his father pounds him on the back and roars, Good morning, son. I'm off to loaf and take my ease until the day is done. Until the day is done. <laughs> <laughs> I what did you think of my uh, poem about Walt Whitman and Emily Dickinson and their I could son. definitely see a lot of images in yeah. it. Now, you've said that to me before, that that's what you're looking for in poetry is images. Mm-hmm. And so the poetic structures that people use are, are helpful because... They Well, you have to have rules for, for anything. Like, being, being restricted... In what you're allowed to do sometimes sort of sparks your creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like how they came up with the idea of uh, beaming down in Star Trek. They right. they were restricted by the budget, so they yep. had to think of something. Yeah. Yep. Here's one of my here's one that I enjoy. It's Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Okay. It goes out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the many years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Oh, that's cool. Invictus, that means unconquered, yeah? Mm, I believe so. Latin? Yeah. But I think that this is cool. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to read a one of my favorite poems. I started the intro with it. It's a, it's a villanelle by Dylan Thomas. Now, let me look up the, the rules of the villanelle. Uh, we'll explain the structure of this poem. You were talking about structures oh, and how structure, they can enhance yeah. your creativity. This is a very much a structured poem. The villanelle is a five stanza poem. Okay. okay. Five groups of lines. And the lines are um, tercets, which means there's three. So five stanzas of three tercets, followed by a single stanza of four lines, which is called a quatrain. Okay. Uh-huh. A total of 19 lines. And it is structured, there's a, there's a very specific rhyming structure to it. Yeah. Um, there's a, two repeating rhymes and two refrains. This is going to get complicated. The first line of the first stanza serves as the last line of the second and fourth stanzas. The third line of the first stanza is the last line of the third and fifth stanzas. Who comes up with this stuff? I don't know, <laughs> but but it's a really it's a really good. It has no established meter. It's just based on. In other words, there's no limit to the number of syllables in mm. the lines or anything like that. There's no meter, but it's just that rhyming sequence and that structure of stanzas. Okay. Yeah. And and then when I read my next poem, you'll understand why I enjoy the next poem so much. Also. Right. Yeah. So this is a villanelle by Dylan Thomas, one of my famous favorite poems. is very very famous. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. 
Though wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men, who caught and sang the sun in flight, and learned too late they grieved it on its way, do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay, rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. So you hear the pattern mm, yep. in there. It has a sort of a hypnotic quality to it, doesn't it? It's, yeah. It's, it kind of sounds a little sing-songy there. Yeah, it's kind of musical. Yeah, yeah. Huh. That, that repetition. I think. I think, and I think repetition is a really repetition and parallel structure is something that, as a as a prose author, mm. I, I try to do it because it adds sort of a poetic quality to your writing and it enhances the readability of the writing. I think it enhances the memorability yeah. of the writing. For and there it, to be rhymes. That's why we rhymes remember are, music so well. Well, r- rhymes and parallel structure, even in prose. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. Like you, if you set something to music and yeah. it's got a rhyming structure, you can really, really memorize it really well. So <laughs> yeah, I love that poem. Um, and I guess I even kind of understand it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's about... Um, about it's about dying, and I think I think he's referring to his own father here. Yep. He says, "And you, father." Yeah, I would assume that it's. Yeah, I mean, not <laughs> always. I mean, not all. We don't. We we don't. We should never assume that any poem, or any written work, or any artistic mm. work of any kind is autobiographical. Right? Oh, yeah, That's a mistake. You don't want to do that because then that really limits what certain authors would want to even write. I mean, what if you don't want to write about the death of your own father? Yeah. What if you want to write about what you imagine the death of your own mm-hmm. father might be like, you know? Yeah. Don't you have yeah. the right to write that? Yeah. Yes, you do. You do have the right to write something yeah. like that. Like but, an imagining of what it might be like as opposed to knowing what it's like. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I think this might actually be somewhat autobiographical by Dylan Thomas. Yeah. But I like how he's listing all the different kinds of, of people who mm-hmm. do who react to the to their their impending death in different ways. Right. Um, and, and basically what he says is that everybody fights against it. I mean, we have this, this, we have this desire not to go into the night because, well, for various reasons, right? Because mm. even if you're a person of faith, you don't necessarily. Yeah. I mean, you have certainty, but it's like, but you don't know what exactly it's going to be like. Yeah. You have a certain amount of certainty, but, but then, yeah. Yeah, I, I love this poem. See, it's so evocative, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're... I like the line um, about though his words had forked no lightning. Isn't that a great phrase? Yeah. The wise men at their end know dark is right because their words had forked no lightning. They do not go gentle into that good night. Is it kind of when you look at everything from a bigger perspective, you realize that you maybe you're you're insignificant even though maybe you thought oh, i'm so wise and i contributed so much to science and whatnot right right maybe they they think they think wow i didn't really 
contribute that much to the world after all, or didn't accomplish what I hoped to accomplish, or, mm. you know, I mean, they may have thought themselves wise, but in the end, they look back and they think, no, I, no, I just mm. didn't. I, I want more time. I, I can do better, maybe is what they're saying, you mm. know? Yeah. Now, this is a poem by one of my other favorite poets, Billy Collins. Mm. He, um, he used to be the Poet Laureate. Um, for a while in the United States. He's very, very much a, a good advocate of poetry. He started the Poetry 180 mm. program where a poem a day was read in school during the 180 days of, of a school year. And he wrote a poem that he called a paradel. Uh -huh. Okay. The paradel is a form very similar to the villanelle. Mm. And, the, and here are the rules of the paradel as uh, constructed by Billy Collins. The paradel is one of the more demanding French fixed forms, first appearing in the Languedoc love poetry of the 11th century. It is a poem of four six-line stanzas in which the first and second lines, as well as the third and fourth lines of the first three stanzas must be identical. The fifth and sixth lines, which traditionally resolve these stanzas, must use all the words from the preceding lines and only those words. <laughs> Similarly, the final stanza must use every word from all the preceding stanzas and only those words. Okay? Okay. All right. This is called Paradel for Susan. All right. I remember the quick, nervous bird of your love. I remember the quick, nervous bird of your love. Mm. Always perched on the thinnest, highest branch. Always perched on the thinnest, highest branch. Thinnest love, remember the quick branch. Always nervous, I perched on your highest bird, the. Poignant. It is time for me to cross the mountain. It is time for me to cross the mountain. To find another shore to darken with my pain. To find another shore to darken with my pain. Another pain for me to darken the mountain and find the time cross my shore to wish with it is to. <laughs> okay, I'm getting to the point where I can hardly get through this. The weather warm, the handwriting familiar. The weather warm, the handwriting familiar. Your letter flies from my hand into the waters below. Your letter flies from my hand into the waters below. The familiar waters below my warm hand. Into handwriting your weather flies you letter the from the. I always cross the highest letter. There's more. Yes, it keeps going. This is the last stanza. Oh, it has to use all of the, the words. It must use every word from all the preceding stanzas and only those words. Oh, okay. <laughs> Here it goes. I always cross the highest letter, the thinnest bird, below the waters of my warm, familiar pain. Another <laughs> hand to remember your handwriting, the weather perched for me on the shore. Quick, your nervous branch flew from love. Darken the mountain, time and find was my into it was with two, two. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so obviously this is a joke poem. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, I, and that's another thing I love about Billy Collins is he really does 
satirize, satirize mm-hmm. make fun of, type the Mickey about serious poetry. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's got uh, some funny poems in here about all the illusions. Like he, like he fills the poem full of illusions and then he explains all the illusions as he goes. And then by the end of it, there's no room for the actual poem. Right. You know, so <laughs> I, I love, I love joke poetry like that. Uh-huh. <clears throat> oh yeah. All right. Okay. Did you find the one you were looking for? I did, yes. It's by E.E. E. Cummings. He's one of my favorite poet, poets. And it's called, I Carry Your Heart With Me. Have you heard of this one? Um, probably. Um, it may be familiar. All right. So it goes like this. I carry your heart with me. I carry it in my heart. I am never without it. Anywhere I go, you go, my dear. And whatever is done by only me is your doing, my darling. I fear no fate, for you are my fate, my sweet. I want no world, for beautiful you are my world, my true. And it's you and it's you are whatever a moon has always meant. And whatever a sun will always sing is you. Here is the deepest secret nobody knows. Here is the root of the root and the bud of the bud. And the sky of the sky of a tree called life which grows higher than soul can hope or mind can hide. And this is the wonder that's keeping the stars apart. I carry your heart. I carry it in my heart. Wow. One of my favorite lines of any poetry whatsoever is, this is the wonder that's keeping the stars apart. Mm. Isn't that cool? This is the wonder that's keeping the stars apart. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. neat. Yeah. How do things stay up in the air and not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's lovely. Yeah, I um when I went to my poetry class, um, my, I think it was that year that I that I wrote this poem about Emily Dickinson and Walt Whitman. We were re- we read some E.E. E. Cummings, and um, our I remember the instructor described E.E. E. Cummings as uh, oh no, I remember what it was. He said, "If think think of a poet's." sort of work or style hmm. the way you think of a mixed drink or a cocktail or something like that, that would, that would fit with that poem or that poet. Yeah. And he said, I definitely think E.E. E. Cummings would be something fizzy. Hmm. And I think Walt Whitman might be like one of those heavy, dark stout beers like Guinness. Maybe, yeah. You know? Maybe Emily Dickinson would be, you know, kind of like a, a fairly weak lemonade. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, with maybe a, with maybe a little, little more bittersweet than you might expect. Hmm. Um, who else? I think Dylan Thomas. It was just a gin and tonic, right? <clears throat> Probably. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Um, let's talk about the different kinds of poetry. Oh yeah! Remember how uh, you can there's there's lyric poetry, which basically that's the kind of poetry we've been reading just mm-hmm. now. Lyric poetry, where I, I I think of it the difference between lyric poetry and like narrative poetry or even epic poetry. Yeah, I think of it like those could be the words to a song maybe because they're short enough usually that they mm. could be you could you could set those words to music and sing it and yeah. it wouldn't go on and on forever. Not like these poems here that I have, mm. the Iliad and the Odyssey, epic, epic Greek poems, you know, written in, um, uh, yeah. what is it? Is it dactylic hexameter, I think? Uh, I think that's right. It goes, in the Greek language, it goes, dun da da 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 Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, those, those are, you know, poems that go on and on and, yep. um, or things like, um, uh, you know, Dante, uh, the divine comedy that's, that's poems. Yeah. Um, uh, Terza Rima written in, in, in Italian. <laughs> um, so, uh, but lyric poems are, are the types of things we've just been reading, which are more, mm. maybe more to evoke a, a mood or an image, like you said. Mm. So, um, so is that how you remember how um, I received a book to review from the National Catholic Register? Right. Yes. And it was a book of poetry. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I don't feel like I could review, do justice to this book. Mm-hmm. So remember, I I, I suggested the, to the editor that that you review that book. Yeah. And you did, and you were, and I remember talking to you about what is it that you're looking for in order to uh, judge these poems? Yeah. Whether they're quote unquote good or not. If such a thing can be said, I think it can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think some poems are bad. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of these ones that maybe this one I wrote is is, uh, is among them. <laughs> who, but, can say? <laughs> who can say? But um, well, some people can say because some poems are bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but what 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 do you use? Like when you were evaluating that book of poetry, or when you evaluate any poem, what do you mm-hmm. look at to say, okay, this is a good poem? Well, I look at. Yeah, I look at the images, I look at pictures being painted, I look at sort of what you might look for when you're reading when you're reading fiction as well. Um you look for not so much saying I'm sad, but evoking that emotion in the per- the person who's reading it. It's kind of the same as when you're acting which is something that I'm a little bit more familiar with. We were taught in acting school, don't don't act sad. What you want to do is you want to you want to cause the other person to do something. You want to make them feel a certain way. The, the other character, you mean? The other character. Okay, yeah. yeah. The purpose of a character saying or doing anything is to evoke a certain reaction yep. from the other character. To change, to change the other. So okay. if I was... The way that I'm saying a, a line can be different depending on what I want the person to feel. If I... The, the, like the words, I can't believe you did that. You can say it in so many different ways. Mm. You can make them feel ashamed. I can't believe you did that. Or you can you can make them you can make them proud of themselves. I can't believe you did that. Or you can make them what's another thing we can do? It's another thing. I can't believe you did that. You were talking about evoking an how it affects emotion. somebody else yeah. instead of saying I'm instead of saying this is a really sad situation we find ourselves in. I am sad. Mm-hmm. You say you say things that evoke a sadness. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. So let's let's do something. Okay. Something fun. All right. I'm going to read a poem to you, and I want you to tell me kind of what what images come to mind. And what it makes, how it makes you feel, and what it makes you want to do. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, okay. This is another of my favorite poems. <laughs> okay. It's called Mother to Son by Langston Hughes. Ooh. Okay. It goes, well, son, I'll tell you. 
Life, for me, ain't been no crystal stair. It's had tacks in it, and splinters, and boards torn up, and places with no carpet on the floor. Bare. But all the time, I's been a-climbing on, and reaching landings, and turning corners, and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light. So boy, don't you turn back. Don't you set down on the steps, cause you find it's kinder hard. Don't you fall now, for I see still, for I's still going, honey. I still climbing, and life for me ain't been no crystal stair. There's an awesome uh, version of that read by, um, what's her name? Viola Davis. Oh, wow. It's so yeah. good. I'll bet. Yeah, it's so good. That was cool. Well, when, when you were reading the beginning of it, mm -hmm. about where she described the... She said, my life ain't been no crystal stare. Mm -hmm. And then she described what the kind of stare her life has been like. Mm -hmm. he, very, she used very much uh, uh, or words that evoked a sense of roughness mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. It felt, it felt rough, mm -hmm. which, and because of the words she used, very harsh, mm -hmm. like splinters and tacks and, you know, mm -hmm. just really sort of hard sounding words. Yep. Um, so I thought that was really good sound and sense, you know, I mean, you've heard this whole thing from Pope. So, so obviously there, and, and the thing is the fact that she's talking about stairs, there's an ascending quality to it. Mm. The idea of hope. Okay. Hope mm -hmm. is something that we do not think of. If you, if you're hopeful, yeah. you're not looking down, you're looking up. Mm -hmm. If you're hopeful, you're not going down. <laughs> Bless you. If you're hopeful, you're not going in a downward mm. direction. You're going in an upward direction. You're yeah. looking upward. So there's there, and the fact that this is about a stair. Yeah, we're going up. What kind of staircase is it? What kind of staircase do you imagine? Um, well, her visuals were so um, uh, vivid at the beginning that I imagined a rickety stairway, wooden, mm. going up, just one of those straight up stairs. You know, no carpet, nothing like she said. Interesting. The stair, you, that you, I, the stair that I imagined is different. The, yeah, this is a winding one. I imagine those really, really tight staircases that you would find in in crammed little New York apartment buildings, mm. which might just be because I know that Langston Hughes came from, um, came from was in mm -hmm. New York. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just um, the staircase looking down on it is literally a square. Yeah. And they're going up, 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 up. And there's some light at the top, but it kind of is obstructed by all sorts of things. And it kind of just filters down till okay. it, and it's mostly shadows. Yeah. And all that. Okay. That's so, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I imagine just more of a straight stair going just up and, and wooden, wooden stair mm -hmm. that you might find in like a, a rickety apartment building, for yeah. example. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what are some, who, we, we've kind of been talking about this a little bit, but who are some of your favorite poets? Well, like I said, definitely Billy Collins. Mm -hmm. In fact, if anyone, any listeners are new to poetry and you haven't read a, a lot of poetry, mm. any Billy Collins book will be, will be good. Yeah. He's, he's very good. He's very accessible. And that was one of his big things was making poetry accessible to people, to, to the general reader and not necessarily to the scholar. So I would recommend Billy Collins. Um, I might actually recommend um, children's poetry is actually pretty fun to read. Um, I have here um, Robert Louis Stevenson's A Child's Garden of Verse. Oh, Versus yeah. Those are really fun. Um, 
Um, how do you like to go up in a swing, up in the air, so blue? Oh, oh I, I do think it the pleasantest thing ever a child could do. Yeah. So those are those are rhymes and those are verses. But what they do is they. Um, I, some people people look down on verse and especially rhyming verse that mm-hmm. has that kind of quality to mm-hmm. it. But I think it's good because it helps you. It instills in you as a reader and as a speaker a sense of rhythm. Yeah, and I think it's very good to read that kind of poetry. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, where the sidewalk ends is a really fun book of poems. Mm. Um. What else have I got here? Oh, goodness. You just read a little bit of this at the beginning. You read a little bit of T.S. Eliot's Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. Uh Awesome, awesome poem. Really, really fun. Yeah. Uh, Like I said, I don't think that I'm a very highbrow person with poetry. I don't consider myself that way. I I tend more towards light verse. Mm. So I guess that's what I would recommend. I mean, for example, if you were to put in front of me um, a recently published literary journal mm. and say, read the poems that are in here. I would probably read them and go, I'm throwing up my hands in utter nothingness. I, I, I don't know. Mm. I don't get this at all. Yeah. Um, a haiku are, are fun. Mm. Oh yeah. Those are, what are they, what are they, they describe, people describe haikus as the, <clears throat> Uh, poetry for the ADD generation. Yeah, they're nice and short, and they they go very well as uh, uh, captions for for uh, for for an appropriate image. Yeah, you know they're really they're really cute little poems. I I like them a lot. They they can be funny too. Mm-hmm. Like this one that I just found. Yeah, by Onitsura Uejima. The warbler poops on the slender plum branch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A nice sort of natural illusion. But yeah, that's a very, I, I think I've, I've read that one before. Yeah. Um, C.S. Lewis was a poet. A poet. He wanted to be a, a professional poet, but um, he was born and raised, unfortunately, in a time when that was going to be hard to do. It's going to be hard to make your living as a poetry, uh, uh, author of poetry. Mm. But he wrote some um, really good poems. This is his oh, yeah. book, of, book of poems. He wrote some narrative poems and he wrote um, some lyric poems. And he wrote um, a long poem about the planets. Oh, yes. And um, you'll remember, I shouldn't give this away, but if you, read the, if you read the planets and then go and watch the Narnia, the Narnia Code, Code yeah. by Michael Ward, you'll really appreciate the Chronicles of Narnia mm-hmm. all that much more. So, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. Um, reading poetry. Mm-hmm. You know how... Poetry is um, divided up into lines, and there, are, and there are each line ends in a certain way for a certain reason. Yeah. And I was doing this a little bit as I was reading. A lot of people, um, have, there are different styles of reading poetry aloud. One involves stopping at the end of every line. The other involves going through every line and reading the sentences, reading complete sentences, and not stopping at the rhymes. Hmm. Um, I think with rhymed poetry that's deliberately meant to be rhythmic and, and more verse, like child's poetry, I think it's good to stop at the rhymes. Hmm. But other poetry that's meant to be a little bit, um, I don't know, I, I don't want to say more serious, but just 
It's not meant to be a sing-songy. Oh, I think yeah. You, I think you you just you read around the end of the line. You just keep going, and then you stop at at the natural punctuation of the poem. That's what I was taught when I mm-hmm. was um, reading poetry and had to read it aloud for classes and things. Right. Um, were, were you taught the same thing? I I have the most experience with reading Shakespeare, and we were always kind of taught that the line ends where it ends for a reason. Sort okay. of. So you'd have to, uh, even if it is in the middle of a sentence, there's a reason that it's, that the line ends there. Is that, is that because of the meaning or is that because it was written in iambic pentameter and that's just where that's the 10th syllable right there? Well, it really, it, it has meaning as well, but it, it definitely is also because of the meter. Yeah, but but Shakespeare was a master at that, and he could exactly, work it in yeah. where the where the line ended in a, in a place that made sense mm-hmm. for the meaning of what he was saying, and mm-hmm. because of the verse structure that he was writing in. It's non-rhymed for the most part, except except those end of scene couplets, you know, in um in mm-hmm. uh, in a Shakespeare play, right? Right, you know, something like like typically the end of the scene will end with a rhyming couplet. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes, like. Which is which is interesting because it's such a it's such a cool yeah. device to kind of snapshot the scene scene you know it's been uh-huh. unrhymed this whole time and then all of a sudden someone just recites this this rhymed couplet and yeah like, and there we go boom, they, boom, the, exit everybody exits yeah I go yeah. and it is done the bell invites me hear it not Duncan for it is the knell that will summon thee to heaven or to, or to hell, hell. Yeah. yeah and you know ooh, ooh. end of scene yeah. something's happening lights out yeah, yeah. It's, it's really cool yeah, yeah I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you Billy Collins one of your favorite poets. Yes. Do you is Dylan Thomas one or did do you just was that just to um illustrate the parallel? I like Dylan Thomas. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually do like him. Yeah. Good, I do. Good, good. And uh yeah, and I like I like Billy Collins. I like um I actually kind of like Edgar Allan Poe. Mm. I mean The Raven, that's a great poem. Oh yeah, it's tons of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's there's so much fun sound making in that poem. Yeah, right. Because isn't that a one way you can enjoy poetry? It's like it doesn't have to have this great meaning, but it could just be just fun to yeah. read and to say and to listen to wordplay. Yeah, one of my favorite lines from The Raven is, um, "In the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain, filled me, thrilled me with fantastic terrors never felt before." Yeah. Here I opened wide the door. Nice. I love that. And yep. I love that when you were in high school and you used to recite that poem in your retainer voice. And the silken, sad, and certain rustling of each purple curtain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> love it. Oh. So some of my favorite poets okay. are E.E. <clears throat> e. Cummings, of course. Langston Hughes. I love his poetry. Mm. And... T.S. Eliot, I enjoy as well. I took an entire class in college that was just about the wasteland. Wow. We read we read some of his poetry. We read The Wasteland. And then we also read Heart of Darkness. Oh, okay. By yeah. Joseph Conrad. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think one of the reasons why I don't really like that book is because we had a huge assignment due for theater at the same time as I was supposed to be reading it Mm. and so I was trying to read it and I didn't and so when we had our discussion about uh, when we had our discussion about Heart of Darkness 
I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, because you hadn't read it. Yeah, and there were only three of us in the class. Oh, dear. <laughs> it was kind of difficult for me. Really I said, so. It. Yeah, and they said, so, when um, that guy when that guy died, what do you think that meant? And I was, I was sitting there, and I said, well, when you go into the heart of darkness, <laughs> death is all that you can really expect, don't you think? And <laughs> that's what we were taught to do in theater class was we were supposed to have a reason for every decision that we made. Uh, for our productions. So mm-hmm. if you were going to have a chandelier on stage, if you wanted to have a chandelier, it couldn't just be, oh, I think it would look cool. You had to have a reason for it. Like say, so we would do these presentations about why we designed a set this way. And say, why is there a chandelier in there, Hannah? And I'd say, well, I'm glad you asked. It is to symbolize the protagonist's fall from grace, for the chandelier will fall at the end of the act. And, <laughs> you know, it's nice. Yeah. So, so you were, okay. Now the wasteland, now Hannah, I have to be honest. That's one of those poems that I have, I've tried to read the wasteland mm. and it's one of those poems that I read it and I go, I have no idea what this is and I'm not even enjoying this. Yeah. So what do you, what, what do you say to somebody like that? Some lowbrow person who can't even deal with the wasteland. Yeah. You know what? In Brideshead Revisited. You know who recites part of the wasteland? Well, Anthony Blanche does. Anthony Blanche he, does. He megaphones it out the window uh, yeah. at that point, right? To the to the uh, cricketers in the in the mm-hmm. quad below, right? Yep. And is there some? There must be some reason why um, Evelyn Watt chose the section of the wasteland that he did to have yeah. Anthony Blanche recite. I'm sure. Yeah. But I I don't know the wasteland well enough at all to even comment on it, other than to say I just did not get it. Yeah, I'd have to read it again. But I remember there was a lot of imagery of a marsh and a drowning and those kind of things, which you don't really expect from when someone says a wasteland. As far as a marsh? Wasteland of water. Like a desert, maybe? Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I, I'm not alone in not being a fan of the wasteland. Mm. C.S. Lewis didn't like it either. No? He said he didn't find anything particularly pleasant about the image of a patient etherized on a table. Well, that's the love song how... of J. Alfred Prufrock. Oh, okay. Oh, see, see how, <laughs> but yeah, he didn't like what he didn't. <laughs> C.S. Lewis was not a fan of, of T.S. Lewis, uh, of T.S. Eliot. Yeah. <clears throat> and he didn't like that image. He thought a patient etherized on a table. That's one of my favorite images to describe, um, like the evening descending upon the city, like a fog descending on the city. Yeah. It's like, let us go then, you and I, the evening spread out across the sky, like a patient etherized upon a table. <laughs> Doesn't it make you feel just groggy and oppressed? Yeah. Maybe and languid. Maybe that's what Lewis didn't like about it. Yeah. Maybe he was one of those people who wanted happy fizzy poems. Can yeah. we also read the um, Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats? Sure. And let's compare and contrast. Yeah. Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats with The Wasteland, both by T.S. Eliot. Yeah. <laughs> Just to show how what a kaleidoscope this man is. He's very talented. Yeah. Um, obviously. And with a good sense of humor, despite yeah. the fact that he wrote The Wasteland. Okay, cool. Um, well, everybody, we hope you enjoyed <laughs> this uh, look into poetry of various kinds. Um, yeah, do go pick up some books and poems from the used bookstore or just online, actually. Uh, the po- there are lots of sites with, with poems all over the place. And um, I think one, one good thing about poems is that you can sort of flip around and just read one here or read one there. They're not long. They, hmm. 
you know, it doesn't take long to read a poem. So, um, unless you're reading the Odyssey or the Iliad or something. So, all right. Awesome. Ready to go out? I am, I am ready. Good note. Okay. Very good. Well, everybody, we thank you. Um, we will see you, uh, next week at the next episode. Should we, <laughs> I never know what to say. Do you want me to take this? Yeah, go ahead. You, you finish. So that's the end of our episode today about poetry. Everybody, make sure not to go gentle into that good night. And follow us on Instagram if you want more stuff like this. Um, you can follow us at Splanknicks underscore podcast. Very good. All right, everybody. Take care. Take care. Bye now. Bye.